Welcome, welcome everybody to first show of the off season. First, first official show of of, uh, of the first week of college football off season for 2021. I'm Matt Scalisi, and I am here with uh, two of the best reporters in the SEC, John Talty and Matt Zenitz, on our weekly show, First Down South, where we give you uh, an inside look at, at some of the biggest stories going on around the Southeastern Conference. And guys, just because the season is over does not mean that the headlines have slowed down. It's been a very busy week since we all last spoke about a week ago, coming off of that national championship game. And, and it's been busy for Alabama in particular. We'll talk about that later in the show um, as, as Alabama is going through their, their typical post-championship uh, unrest, I guess you can call it. But uh, before we get to that, a huge, huge story cropping up. I know there's been hints about it. There, there's been a lot of speculation about it for weeks now, but it finally happened yesterday. Uh, Tennessee fires head coach Jeremy Pruitt uh, and simultaneously two other coaches uh, on his staff. All three of them fired for cause. A as this happens, Athletic director Philip Fulmer also announces he's retiring and stepping down. So a full-on clear out at Tennessee um, as the as the college football season comes to a close. John, I, I know we were we were talking about this all year long at how badly things were going for Jeremy Pruitt in Tennessee. I, I think my first question about all this is how did how did this timing come about for it? Because I my my instinct looking at it would be to say this isn't a great time to be jumping into the job market if you're Tennessee. It's not. It uh, it absolutely is not a great time to be looking for a new head coach. Uh, you know, you do have National Signing Day a couple of weeks away. Most of the jobs, you know, all the other jobs have essentially been filled, and so unless. You have a college coach, you know, heading to the NFL, which occasionally happens. Uh, we saw uh, last year with Matt Rule. Uh, should not really be any other big openings coming up. So it's going to put Tennessee in a difficult uh, spot because, again, not only do they have to find a new head coach now, but they have to find an AD first. And so that's kind of the first step now is with Fulmer kind of easing off into the sunset. Uh, they need to go hire a new AD. They've hired a search firm to help facilitate that process. Uh, they're already working to try to find a new AD. After they hire an AD, it'll then be up to he or she to decide, you know, do I want to go through a full-on search? Do I want to maybe keep Kevin Steele for a year and do the search and, you know, at the end of next season? A lot of different things that are still kind of uh, in play. But it's, you know, we're already in mid-January at this point, uh, and it's not you know, typically when you want to be looking for a head coach for college football. Matt Zenitz, this is um, the, this has been an interesting offseason for the coaching market, and I know you you've been doing more and more in terms of you know tapping into that and talking to the folks who are involved in some of these searches and in in, in general on the coaching side. How do you, how would you see the Tennessee job right now being viewed by the the sort of coaching industry? Is that an attractive job right now? I mean, it, it's an SEC job. It's a program with a ton of tradition, but obviously. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of mess to deal with there. It's a mess of a situation right now that I, I think that anybody that they look at is going to be very concerned about potential sanctions, penalties, potential uh, postseason bans for the the short the short term. So, for example, 
people who have put together some of these lists of potential candidates have thrown out like a Billy Napier. I, I find it hard to believe that the Billy Napier with his selective as he's been with jobs during the course of the, the last couple of years, that this would be the opportunity that he would take on something that people in the coaching world ha have definitely thrown out as an idea and j just essentially an educated guess since all of this came down yesterday is that Kevin Steele can maybe just handle things for this year, let them go through the process of, of finding an AD, get through this season, and then potentially reevaluate coming out of next year. But in terms of the timing, obviously the timing is questionable making this move January 18th. But at the same time, when you're going through this kind of process, and Tennessee isn't the first school uh, this offseason to go through this kind of process where you have stuff that you're investigating and looking at potentially firing your coach with calls. But if you're doing that, you need to make sure that you have everything lined up where you do have what's necessary to fire that coach with calls where you are not going to be paying buyouts. So I, I would think from Tennessee perspective that that's what led to the delay, making sure that they had enough to not only fire Jeremy Pruitt, but to be able to do so with calls where they would not owe him that buyout. And Matt, you, you mentioned that possibility there of, of Kevin Steele, who's currently the interim head coach, taking over and being the guy that gets this job at least uh, for the rest of the year. John Talty, you wrote about that this morning uh, for AL.com, or, or I guess just wrote in general about, about Kevin Steele. There's certainly, I, I think for a lot of folks who pay close attention to this stuff, the hiring of Kevin Steele at Tennessee was a red flag for a lot of people in terms of maybe something something like this coming down the, the pipe. Well, it just didn't make a lot of sense. And I think Tennessee was trying to spin it very hard. This was, you know, Jeremy Pruitt's hire and that, you know, he wanted Steele in. But, and that might, some of that might have been accurate. But looking at it from a big picture, Kevin Steele is making $2.5 million as Auburn's uh, defensive coordinator last year was named the interim head coach after Gus got fired and had a shot, you know, for that head coaching job. Uh, and, you know, as I wrote about, had a lot of, uh, and Matt wrote about too, a lot of support from influential boosters to get that permanent job and ultimately didn't get it, you know, goes to Brian Harson, but was in the mix for that job at least. And so, you know, he was going to have other opportunities. So for him to go to Tennessee under a vague defensive assistant title, not a coordinator title, as some people had reported, I think, inaccurately, uh, just didn't make a lot of sense. You know, Derek Ansley was still there as defensive coordinator. Jeremy Pruitt's a former defensive coordinator himself. Kind of felt like too many cooks in the kitchen for Steele to want that as his opportunity. So less than a week later, when Pruitt gets fired, it, it kind of just all adds up a little bit that, you know, even though Phil Fulmer said yesterday that Kevin had no idea he might be the acting head coach when he took that job, you know, if Matt and I are hearing all this smoke about how Pruitt's going to get fired and how it was coming down the pike, certainly somebody like Kevin who went to Tennessee has the same agent as Jeremy Pruitt and knows a lot of people in the college football world would have heard those same rumors too. And I would think knew what he was potentially getting into when he took that job with Tennessee. And obviously, less than a week after getting hired, he's now the acting head coach. I, I do want to – go ahead, Matt. So, John and I talked about this. I don't even remember how long. It's been like a month now in terms of this being in the works with Jeremy adding Kevin. And also, one of the other people that they've been looking to add was Rodney Garner from Auburn to go along with that to Jeremy's staff. So, the plan for Kevin at that point, which had been in the works going back a while now, was to bring him in as the linebackers coach under Jeremy. 
The, the weird thing is that with, with not only Kevin, but with Rodney Garner, they, they could not get it done. It, it wasn't getting finalized. And then out of the blue, everything all of a sudden gets finalized with Kevin. So the interesting part of that is, you, you know that Kevin uh, we would have had some, some other options. And for him to be comfortable going into this situation and accepting that kind of role, you know with, with his intelligent and, like John talked about, as plugged in as he is, um, that, that he had to have some sense or assurance that he at the very least would be taking over as interim head coach if when th- something happened with Jeremy and or potentially getting some sort of a assurance that when they hired somebody else, that maybe he would be part of staff there. But that's just me making an educated guess, knowing what I know about Kevin. And once again, uh, Kevin's a smart guy that you know uh, did his due diligence in terms of research before just accepting this position on staff. He didn't go in line, and uh, I, I would be very surprised if there was no discussion about uh, what would happen if when Jeremy got fired before he formally accepted that job. So, so let's talk about some fallout here going forward. First of all, just for the program for Tennessee, um, you know, this is not a program <clears throat> that has been able to do anything consistently well for, I guess we're talking about almost the last 15 years at this point. Um, they, they just haven't been able to put anything solid together for more than a year at a time. Um, it, it's been a program that, is going through coaches rather quickly um, and and not able to find consistent success and 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 able to grow anything and build anything, which is you know it's a it's a self-perpetuating cycle that we see a lot in college football. you're You're constantly firing the guys that you have, and then your 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 reason that you're not able to build new success is because you haven't had consistency with your coaching staff. So, on top of that problem, we're now adding what sounds like some potentially serious NCAA stuff. How, how I, I guess, John, first of all, how, how bad is it going to get for Tennessee? Can, can, can this actually, can this actually turn into, you know, more than just a problem for its upcoming head coach? Well, it's, I think we're all curious to see what exactly the violations are. You know, I think just to start, I think it's remarkable how candid and open Tennessee has been saying we have serious violations here and we know they happen. I can't think of a school has done that because typically you defend yourself as much as possible. You deny, you know, till you die, as they say to the NCAA, you fight it as much as possible because you know, once NCAA kind of gets into your house and starts rooting around and they start finding things, it can have serious ramifications. So the fact that Tennessee was the one who brought in the NCAA to this process is doing its own internal investigation is remarkable to me. And I think it's going to be interesting to see whether the NCAA comes to the same conclusion as Tennessee did, which, you know, yesterday their chancellor saying, you know, we believe multiple level one and level two violations, serious NCAA issues. And again, said, we know that they occurred. If that is all accurate, you have to think, I think Matt said earlier, bowl ban, scholarship reductions, you know, probably, you know, unable to maybe do off-campus visiting for uh, off-campus recruiting for a while. I mean, potentially major issues for this program that any new head coach would have to inherit, which to circle back is why I do think there is a lot of credence to the idea of letting Kevin Steele be a bridge hire for a year or so to kind of have to withstand 
those potential those potential sanctions because it's going to be tough. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of the Ole Miss situation where after Hugh Freeze left and that whole place was a mess and the NCAA was breathing down their necks, they hired Matt Luke, a popular alum, gave him a couple of years. He cleaned things up. He didn't win as much as they needed to. And then they kicked him out and they brought in Lane Kiffin. Yeah, great, great analogy there. And and look, Ole Miss has has been able to rebound from that relatively quickly, uh, probably more quickly than a lot of us thought that they would. So it's not it's not necessarily Kurt, being doomed forever. Son. Yeah, courtesy, courtesy of Tennessee's favorite son, Lane. <laughs> That's right. But Matt, uh, let let me talk about the other side of this, which is Jeremy Pruitt. Now, obviously, you know, pending these NCA investigations, he could end up. Um, with a show cause, which would have a big impact on this. But outside of that possibility, what is Jeremy Pruitt's reputation as a coach? And look, obviously, it's going to be tough for you to get a, a head coaching job coming off of something like this. But in terms of his reputation as a defensive mind, as a, as a you know, a, a player development guy, as a game planning guy, a strategy guy, how is Jeremy Pruitt looked on, and is he somebody that will have a hard time getting snatched up by somebody? I think a lot of – look, to be frank, as soon as this happened, there was some element of Alabama fandom on Twitter uh, and elsewhere saying like, hey, <laughs> there's our new defensive coordinator. Let's go get him. But how, how realistic is that? What, what has, has Jeremy Pruitt's reputation taken a big hit during his time at Tennessee? Uh, anytime that you have NCAA stuff uh, attached to your name, it's kind of going to make it more difficult to, to get a job. So I think under normal circumstances, without anything like that on the table with, with Jeremy and potentially show calls to go along with that, under normal circumstances, he'd be in line for some some top tier defensive coordinator jobs at, at the very least. But it, it's complicated now based on what's going on from an NCAA standpoint. I think it's premature to even try to guess as to what kind of jobs could be there for him because I don't, I don't think anybody's going to touch him until this investigation is complete. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, well, I let, heard, go I ahead, John. Yesterday, but I mean, he, Matt is totally dead on here. I mean, he has told people in the past, you know, just openly, if I ever get fired from Tennessee, I'll just go back to work for Nick Saban again in Alabama. I mean, he's told people at Tennessee who work for him, which, I mean, I think it's kind of crazy and probably yeah. maybe explains why things didn't work out. But like Matt says, he's not going to be able to come home if he has a show card penalty. That's just not going to happen. And so, you know, as we saw yesterday with his lawyer coming out firing against Tennessee, he has a lot of incentive to have to fight back on this because if, if this four cause sticks to him and it's proven that he was aware of these violations and he gets a show cause – he is going to have a very difficult job getting a job anywhere in college, let alone Alabama. And they might have to go to the NFL for a couple of years. Um, but I just think overall, he is very highly regarded. Uh, I think some people would say he's the best defensive coordinator that Saban had. Uh, you know, obviously it's between mostly him and Kirby, but people love Jeremy at Alabama. But, you know, if any of this really sticks to him, he's going to have very limited career prospects for at least a couple of years. For sure. And uh, Alabama currently not looking for a new defensive coordinator, but they are in the market for a number of other uh, positions. Good segue, Matt. Thank you. Appreciate that. So so since the national championship <clears throat> game was played last week, uh, some more jobs have come open. Some more guys have been hired. This is, a, this is an old story at Alabama. Alabama fans shouldn't be shocked by this at this point. This is uh, something that seems to happen every time they win a title. 
Um, but it's, you know, it's been a pretty significant clear out at this point. Um, it, it's a, it's, it, I believe it's 11 spots total have, have, uh, have opened at this point. Now, some of those are analyst jobs and, and, and not full on on-field assistant positions, but you know, it's, it's a number of pretty significant names. And, uh, and one of them that I think maybe most Alabama fans, or at least a lot of them aren't totally familiar with, uh, but, but could be a significant one is Charles Huff, the, uh, the running backs coach, John, first of all, <clears throat> let's, let's talk about that hire because it kind of, it surprised me. It came out of nowhere that to see a Alabama's running backs coach, get a head coaching position in the FBS. But but also just let's just talk about that guy's significance and why it's a big deal that he's leaving. Well, Huff has certainly, I would say, been looking for a head coaching job. You know, he was a guy who I think tried to throw himself into the mix for the Vanderbilt job. Uh, you know, he was a former assistant there under James Franklin. Didn't really get that much traction, but was a name that you kind of heard mentioned for that job. Uh, he was in the mix for the South Alabama job uh, that ultimately went to Kane Womack. You know, one of the kind of finalist guys for that job but again did not get that one so he's someone who i think has been looking to make that jump uh and i think what he has to sell is that you know he was just the number one uh recruiter in the country according to 247 sports um and you know hopefully for him it doesn't go as poorly as it did for the guy who was the number one recruiter the year before uh who was brian niedemeyer who just got fired but huff is someone who has good reputation as a recruiter he's young he's charismatic and he's done a good job at the running back position. So he famously coached uh, Saquon Barkley at Penn State, uh, was highly regarded at Mississippi State under Joe Moorhead, uh, though he wasn't there very long. And then I think he's done a very good job with Najee Harris and Alabama. Yeah, you, you talk about Charles Huff and that experience uh, from Penn State, by the way. And we, we also find out that uh, at this point, looking, looking, very, um, looking very sure, and uh, have, have they officially confirmed uh, that Bill O'Brien is going to be the Alabama offensive coordinator. And, and Nick Saban sort of essentially did that the other day. Um, but, but all all recruits, you know, right. I mean, it, it seems, yeah, it seems pretty definite. Yeah. He's locked in as Alabama's offensive coordinator and has already started the process of working. So they, they Matt, officially can, working. Right. Can, can, can we, Matt, I'm very curious. I, I think a lot of Alabama fans at least know the name, uh, they know who Bill O'Brien is because of his time at Penn State and in, and in the NFL. Uh, obviously, not coming off of a great experience in the NFL, uh, but just as a coach, as a college coach, and as an offensive coordinator, you know what what can fans expect out of this guy uh, based on his his past experience as a play caller and as and as a recruiter in college? Yeah, he's one of these guys that played a role in the success that the Patriots had offensively which obviously has been a lot during the course of this run with Belichick and before he left for Tampa Bay, uh, Tom Brady. So Bill O'Brien was offense coordinator there, has done some some decent things for, from a coaching standpoint when he hasn't been giving away uh, one of the top wide receivers in the, the NFL for less than what he should be getting for him. Uh, I mean, did, did some good things at, at Penn State and probably has the endorsement from person who's most important in terms of Nick Saban coming from Bill Belichick. So that carries weight with Nick Saban. And once again, considering Nick Saban's not going to be depending on him to help with the input in terms of potentially trading players or anything like that, I, I think Alabama fans have a reason to be optimistic about just the direction of this moving forward. 
Now we we have we have seen, and I'm not I, I I do not believe that either of you two gentlemen have reported anything like this. There have been some reports out there that at at certain points, Pete Golding was in the mix, or at least being in the conversation um, for the defensive coordinator position at Texas. At this point. Are we expecting any more movement on that? Do we do we think that that? Yeah, he, he's not going to Texas. Was told that pretty definitively yesterday. So there, there was a possibility um, that there there was a, a chance that could happen, but uh, that that died down based on what I was hearing during the, the weekend. It found it strange that there were reports that resurfaced about the the chance of that happening during the course of the last couple of days. But was told pretty definitively that he is not going to to Texas. So, so in the bigger picture here, what I want to ask you guys about this is, you know, we've heard Nick Saban talk about in the past, um, particularly coming off of big seasons uh, where there has been a lot of coaching shakeup and seasons that didn't end well, let's say, didn't end for an international championship for Alabama, um, which is only about half of them for the past 12 years, but still – we we hear Saban talk about as one of really the only major challenges his program faces consistency in the coaching staff turnover in the coaching staff he gets frustrated about that he sees that as a potential obstacle to his team accomplishing as much as they're as they're capable of just in terms of their talent and potential in terms of this year's staff turnover from what we've seen so far where do you guys expect the most potential effect uh, on the on the team where, where is the, the biggest potential for sort of chaos I guess or, or lack of consistency well let, let me add one more thing just to, about Pete Golding before we, we move on to that yeah. so regardless of what the perception is in terms of the the fan base Pete is somebody who, who's respected inside that building and something that was made even more clear during the course of these last few days was that Nick Saban didn't want to lose him Nick Saban uh, wasn't pushing him out the door and wanted to keep him. So he, it, it seems like, essentially got put in a position where we would have had to to deal with, and I'm trying to censor myself, I was going to say, without yeah. uh, moving on while risking pissing off Nick Saban because that was not a, a move that Nick Saban wanted him to make. But something that was problematic also was without the support of Nick Saban in terms of making that move and waiving some things from a contract perspective, would have had to deal with a, a buyout that, that's higher than the typical right. buyout, somewhere in the range of $1.8 million, which is significant. And, and that speaks to that speaks to what you're saying here, which is that Pete Golding is valued at Alabama. I, I think fans get frustrated because the, the defense doesn't look like it did in 2011, where you're pitching shutouts every other week. But some of that is, is I think, what college football is now. And some of it also is, I think, fans per, perhaps not appreciating Golding's full value as a, as a recruiter as well, uh, where he's, he's highly prized uh, in, in that particular role. But, but, yeah, with that said, John, do you, do you see this year's round of staff turnover at Alabama being a, a particularly rough one in comparison to some of the others? I mean, I think there's been worse ones in the past. I, I think I, I'm curious to see how he fills these, you know, these next couple open positions because he still has to replace Kyle Floyd at offensive line coach. Right, a big one. 
Hoffman, running backs coach, Jeff Banks, that special teams coach. Uh, so I think I'm curious to see what he does there. I think one of the things that, you know, I remember talking to Lane Kiffin about this a couple of years ago. One of the challenges I think for Saban was that so many of his guys have become head coaches and they all like to try to hire guys in the system that his kind of pool of candidates have gotten smaller if he wanted to kind of stay within his kind of tree because they keep getting pulled different ways. But again, you saw when hired Bill O'Brien, who's not directly from his tree, but Belichick. So it's all kind of connected. So Offensive line coach, I think, is a big one. Uh, there's obviously you've been some names mentioned for that job. I think who he hires there. I think Flood did a very good job yeah. uh, at that spot, and I think it was probably one of the best offensive line coaches Saban has had. So that would be, I think, a key one for me. And then just with Banks, I think the question is, you know, a do you hire somebody who can kind of bring together some of the special team stuff? I mean, the kicking game is finally good. I don't know how much credit Banks deserves for that, but <laughs> even to keep that mojo going, and just someone who might have some ties to Texas because he was obviously able to open up some doors uh, in that state for them recruiting wise. And and just to to follow up on that also. So, I mean, one thing to keep in mind is, I mean, you're dealing with with the staff that just contributed to Alabama winning a national championship and it still may not be the end of turnover. So it's not like we're dealing with uh, potentially the the end of this. And obviously there are more things that that could play out during the course of these next couple of weeks. But in terms of the openings that, that he has now, I mean, John and I have talked since last Wednesday about the, the O-line stuff. So name that, that we've been talking about since that point, midweek last week, has been Doug Marone and the the just essentially him being a name to keep an eye on for that job with the justification for that being. He's a, apparently a close friend of Bill O'Brien, so has that connection yeah. somebody that Bill could pull for in terms of getting on staff. But to go along with that, also a CAA guy, it sounds like. So has that. Sure, element. there's always that element of it too. But yeah. but I think also, Matt, that that's an interesting one because we've started to see in recent years, I mean, Nick Saban doesn't have, he's he's very open-minded with, with his coaching hires, but there does seem to be a favor, a favoritism that he shows towards guys who have been college head coaches before. It's very interesting to see him hire more and more guys who have that on their resume, which obviously not every program is, is able to do that. But Saban seems to really value that a lot to have as many guys on his staff that have been college head coaches as possible. And a name like Doug Mar- I mean, I think it probably helps with recruiting. It helps just with managing an organization the size of, of Alabama's where there's so many, um, you know, analysts and interns and, and there's so many guys that are there's so many resources available to help out, but it also requires, you know, people in sort of middle management roles who who know how to manage a large staff of people. So with, with Doug Moran, I mean, I'm sure considering that that ended up coming out yesterday in terms of his name being a possibility, people were wondering about that connection. Those were those those are some of the things to keep in mind, though, as far as the the connections and why this could be a fit. Because once again, I'm sure it was natural for, for people to wonder at that point, why, why would somebody who's coming off being an NFL head coach consider a college offensive line position? But the, the relationship with O'Brien to go along with that potential CAA connection, uh, just things to keep in mind, even though I will throw in also, if Tennessee did go the route of trying to hire somebody right now, Doug Marone is somebody who not only has college head coaching experience, but has NFL head coaching experience. Right. And to go along with that has experience and ties to, to Tennessee. And, and I wonder if he would potentially get a look there and just if that happened, what his interest level would be. But if I were putting together just a, a list myself of names that would be worth keeping an eye on, he's somebody who I, I think could 
very easily at least get a look at Tennessee if they did look to to do something right now. There's your there's your scoop. There's your name to keep an eye on this week from Matt Zenitz from Mr. Scoops over there. Uh, I think we've got a comment from uh, from our viewers right now that we want to take a look at real quick from Charles War Eagle Wilkerson. Uh, that's I, I hope that is his actual legal middle name. I, I just want to say that for the record. It says, I honestly think Alabama having the staff changeover that they have is a good thing. It makes it difficult for other teams to pick up on their tendencies from year to year. A really interesting perspective on that um, and, and not one that I've that I've thought about before that, that the fact that Alabama has so much turnover is in part makes it really difficult for them to be studied uh, year after year. But I, I will say this, I think also to go along with that, I think Alabama in general has done a lot of evolving on offense and defense over the years that to, to, to bring up what is potentially a sore subject for Charles War Eagle Wilkerson. One of the criticisms of Gus Malzahn's tenure at Auburn is he didn't really evolve enough with his offensive approach and that people started to sort of, for lack of a better term, figure him out over the years. Alabama has has done a tremendous amount of evolving that the offense that we saw in that national championship game is unrecognizable to what you would have seen really even five years ago at Alabama. Uh, but I, I'm curious what you guys think about this idea. I, I don't know that Saban would necessarily agree with that. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I, I think Saban's like the, the continuity that he's had the, the last couple yeah. of years. I think the purpose for him would be to uh, have as little turnover a, as possible. <laughs> I would agree with Dennis, but I do think it is an interesting point kind of that you're hitting on too, Scalise, is that you could say by by having new blood come in pretty consistently, it does potentially push them to keep evolving because you're bringing in new ideas and new thoughts, whereas if you do have the same staff for too long and it's not competing, it can get stale. You know, like you said, Saban just won a national championship and probably one of the greatest team ever greatest teams ever. I would imagine he would have liked to keep probably all of those guys. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know if he's excited that Sark and Banks and Flood and all them just left after the year the offense had. But by bringing in new people, it could cause them to you know, change some things up. But, you know, look, it, it is an inevitable part of the sport. If you're successful enough, you're going to lose guys and you have to. I, I do think that that is more than anything else probably what has kept Saban on top and relevant is that he doesn't seem to he doesn't seem to sort of operate under the assumption that he could keep doing things the same way forever it's built seems built into the system to have to keep evolving and changing and bringing in new guys and, and new ideas so uh, somebody joked yesterday uh, on Twitter that you know Saban has gotten bored by trying to rehabilitate all these college coaches and <laughs> save some NFL head coaches and so yeah. It does seem, it seems to be Joe moving. Ryan and Doug Marone, guys who, again, were coaching NFL teams this year on his college staff would be pretty amazing. Yeah, pretty wild. All right, well, we will certainly keep you guys apprised of, of any uh, movement in terms of staffing hires at Alabama. You can always follow that news over at AL.com. You can follow my guys here at MZenitz on Twitter and at JTalty on Twitter. Um, and – we will be back again next week for another episode of First Down South. I, I will remind everybody also, if you if you uh, are a podcast person, you can find us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts by searching for First Down South and, uh, and listen to us on that format if you prefer to do it that way. So 
Thanks, everybody, once again for joining us, and we will see you again next week on First Down South.